Hello, everyone. Welcome in to Southeastern 14. I am Blaine Gilmer, and we are here. Your home of daily SEC coverage is Southeastern 14, and it is week nine of the college football season. Can't believe it's flown by this quickly. And also, guys, can't believe how fast the channel's growing over here. Subscribers, new subscribers every single day. Uh, and we're looking to partner with people. So if you're looking to target an SEC crazed audience, hit up caroline.smith at southeastern 14 com as always hit up chomps in the description get 15 percent off on a tasty and healthy snack for you but guys let's get right into it here with our guest our co-host on jake's takes on southeastern 14 it is none other than jake crane from crane and company jake how's it going man going great man like you said week nine i i can't believe we're this far into it already but i mean it always flies by yeah, so you were out there just uh, watching people, you know, smack the cold yeah. crap out of each other over there in Vegas with the power slap thing. Tell everybody how that was real quick. Before yeah, man, I mean, it was it was great. You know, Dana White, uh, he's an awesome dude. If you ever get a chance to meet him, uh, you never know that he's worth what he's worth. Uh, this power slap thing's really taken off. I mean, just Google it. It's pretty uh, pretty self-explanatory what it is. Uh, but being there, man, and seeing it, I mean, they got former NFL defensive lineman in the heavyweight category. These guys are just absolutely slapping each other silly. A um, couple really good knockouts. It's uh, it's a lot of fun, dude. You, you need to check it out. I mean, you know, if you like UFC, you know, and you like watching, watching you know, highlights of guys getting physical, you know, it gets awfully physical, awfully quick out there. Absolutely, absolutely. And speaking of getting physical, let's uh, hit our first topic here. The team that likes to get physical is Georgia a lot. That's what they're known for the last two years. But mine's more of a skill-related question. And this is a take I want you to say true or false or what you think about it on. Carson Beck, he's currently sixth in the Vegas odds uh, for the Heisman Trophy. Can Carson Beck make a case to win the award over these next four games with Brock Bowers out and playing the likes of Florida, Missouri, Ole Miss, and Tennessee? Yeah, look, I mean, he's right there in the thick of it. Now, it's not the the sexiest name at the top of the list. I mean, obviously, we hear, you know, Bo Nix and Michael Penix. I think a lot of it's going to come down to, you know, how many if these other guys are still winning, right? And and we know, obviously, Washington, Washington and Oregon just played. There's going to be a lot of carnage that happens. I think he's going to need some stuff to go his way as far as other guys not winning. Uh, and, and look, I know RG3 won it uh, going 9-3, and three, but I don't see that really happening again, even though I will say, with Jaden Daniels this year, man, uh, with the way yeah. he's playing, he's going to have his chances. But Carson's going to have his chances too. I mean, you got Florida and the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. You go show that that you can be the guy without having Weapon X, Brock Bowers. Uh, but he's going to have to put up some pretty huge numbers. Um, and and I don't know if Georgia's really built to be able to throw the ball enough to be able to put up those type of numbers consistently. So. Look, as long as they keep winning, as long as he keeps being efficient, his name's going to still be up there. Uh, could he get an invite to New York to be there? Yes, I, I think that's way more likely, obviously, than him winning it. Uh, but he's going to have to rely on some carnage around him to be able to move him to the top of that list. To kind of piggyback on that real quick, uh, just give me give me your thoughts right here, and I'll throw up the the line information and everything. Uh, 14 and a half, George is a favorite. Over-under was 48 and a half when I made this graphic. Of course, it's the 330 CBS game of the week. And, you know, I'm really highlighting that Gator run defense versus Georgia. Can they, they kind of struggled against Kentucky and South Carolina to stop the run a little bit. Um, what's your thoughts on this game, Jake? 
Well, look, it's a rivalry game. Uh, obviously, Florida, they, they feel like they've punched above their weight, and they really have the whole year, and they've got nothing to lose. You know, that that's a dangerous thing. Now, we know Georgia's more talented, but it is the first game also without Brock Bowers. So how do you handle that? It's going to be somewhat of a new experience, that security blanket that you've had for so long, whether you were up and it was third down or whether you were down and having to come back, whether it was South Carolina, whether it was Auburn. You know, we've seen when Carson needed it, who he goes to, but getting Lad McConkey back is huge. We talked last week about Dominic Lovett and Ra Ra Thomas really having to step up. Those young tight ends, I'm, I'm interested to see the lucky kid kind of have a good idea who Delp is. Um, but it, when I look at it for Florida to win, and it's, it's been interesting because Graham Mertz, I think, has done a really good job of being efficient even when the run game isn't there. I mean, go back to Utah, right? Early in the year, I, there's been multiple times when Florida, and typically it's been on the road. Because Florida is a different yeah. team on the road. We'll see them in a neutral site. Who the hell knows? They'll probably be half what they were at home and half what they were on the road. A little bit of an Arnie Palmy alert. Uh, but Graham has shown the ability uh, with Pearsall, Eugene Wilson, some of these other guys, that if the run game isn't working very well, and I don't think it's going to work very well against Georgia, they've been able to supplement that with the quick game, with the intermediate game. He's been pretty accurate on the deep ball. I mean, I, I think Graham's one of the most intriguing stories in the country right now. So uh, I actually like Florida plus the 14 and a half. I like that in the under. Uh, I think Georgia could dominate the game and win by 14. I, I think they could dominate the game and win by 13. I think it's going to be kind of a slower, drudged pace. Um, Florida, I'm interested to see how aggressive Billy Napier is on first down, whether it's through play action, whether it's through you know just true pass, uh, screen game, things like that. So I like Florida to cover the 14 and a half, and, and man, I like the under. Yeah, uh, one thing I, I wanted to just get your thoughts on, Jake, I was doing a little research this week, and you know, I saw, okay, well, Georgia, they convert third downs at like 57%, only behind LSU by a couple of tenths of a percentage point. But I I looked into it and I was like, okay, why is that? And I looked at, at Florida. They're really good at, at preventing people from, from convert third downs. And when I looked at it, Jake, Georgia this year, out of their third down situations, 26 of their third downs have been third and three or shorter. And they've only had of – plays that are longer than that. They've only had 12 on the entire year. Only one third and 10 or longer the entire year, and that came against Auburn on the third and 15 that Brock Bowers completed. How impressive is that just from a football standpoint, regardless of who you've played, that you have all those third and shorts? It really says you're getting it done on first and second down, I, I would think. Well, uh, yeah, it's, it's called staying on schedule, right? You know, that there's a lot more in the playbook, and you keep the defense uh, a lot more off balance when you do have third and short, and, and it's not – uh, to me, it has nothing to do with the schedule. I think it's Georgia's very efficient in what they yeah. do. Uh, while they are developing, and we've talked about that a lot here, they know who they are, right? I don't think they're stellar in either the pass game or the run game. I wouldn't say they're the top passing team in the conference, top rushing team, but they're really good in both. And the offensive line, I think, whether it's been giving – uh, Carson Beck time to be able to deliver the ball, to get to the check down, to get to that second and third read, or being able to run the ball well enough to be effective. And we've seen that with Georgia. It's been kind of a different. Now they're getting some guys back. Amarius uh, Mims is coming back on the offensive line. We look at Kendall Milton. But that that is a compliment, I think, to Mike Bobo, too. You know, putting them in good situations. There's an old saying, you never go broke making a profit. And it really shows you that while Carson Beck may be a little bit green as far as playing on the field, he is an old head as far as preparation and, and understanding what he's look, looking at. It's almost, it's a situation we've really not seen anymore in college football 
or the NFL. You know, back in the NFL, you give guys time, call it a redshirt year, whatever. Now they're just throwing them into the fire. Well, in college football, especially with the NIL, these big time quarterbacks are coming in and having to get thrown into the fire. He's kind of the, the he's kind of the Jordan Love of college football, right? You give him time to develop before you just say, All right, buddy, go out there and just figure it out. And you mentioned the word efficiency. If we're going to look at the other side of this and always say, okay, what would have to happen for Florida to make uh, to create an upset? I think efficiency, they are good on third down defense, and they they actually have a better percentage in the red zone, both offensively and defensively, than Georgia in terms of touchdown percentage going into this. Those two areas, are those, the, are those how you – pulling upset against the, against the Georgia Bulldogs? Yeah, well look, I mean, you know, it's it's something we talk about Cranon Company and all the time uh, all the time. Offensive coordinators don't get paid to move the ball in between the 20s. They get paid to score touchdowns when you get in the red zone. That's when you really find out cuz the field shrinks, right? It's a little bit easier for the defense. You're not having to cover as much space. Those deep developing routes down the field or even trying to get DBs to pursue down the field to open up the underneath that's not really there anymore. And then when the field shrinks, obviously the, the run game's a little bit tougher. It's a little bit more difficult. Uh, but that's where I think it's it's going to come down to can Florida hang in the game, right? When Georgia does get down there, can you hold them to field goals where, where you're still within striking distance into the second half, which breeds confidence? Because the longer Florida just hangs around and hangs around and hangs around in this game, even if Georgia hits a couple big plays, you know, and they get hawked at the 15 or something like that, and you hold them to a field goal, Florida's going to consider that a win. So, yeah, I mean, the red zone, turnovers, penalties, field position, these are all things that go into the recipe of not just pulling an upset, but winning a football game. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you talked about, you know, the need to be able to run the football in the red zone. You talked about the need to be able to convert in the red zone to prevent teams from hanging around. Well, that's something that Tennessee didn't do last week against Alabama. They had a couple shots early in that game to really kind of break Alabama's back, and they didn't. So I wanted to talk to you and pose the question to you, which program needs a win more between Tennessee and Kentucky this weekend and why? And then we'll talk about the second part of this question in a little bit. So which one needs needs the win worse and why? Well, you know, I – Tennessee, and I'm, this is not a shot at Kentucky fans. Kentucky's a basketball school. We all know that. I don't think there's a Kentucky fan that would come on here and debate me on, on whether Kentucky's a, a football or basketball school. Uh, but there is standards, and that's a compliment to Mark Stoops and what he's done for that program. I always say at Kentucky, Mark Stoops does le uh, more with less than anybody, and Calipari does less with more than anybody, and they just happen to both be at the same place. So I think Kentucky can get away with losing a game, and it's not, oh, the sky is falling, as opposed to Tennessee. You gave them a taste last year. You know, we say once you hit that Wagyu beef, that old uh, that old old steak that, that you were eating uh, before that, you don't want that. Once you sip from the cup of having success, especially when you've been down, as long as Tennessee has, right? They almost got PTSD. You know, it's like every time they, you know, lose a game, it's like save it. when those movies where like the bombs go off and it's just like ringing in your ears and people are looking around, it just turns into, oh no, are we back in the dark ages again? So I'm going to say Tennessee for a, uh, from a confidence standpoint and just there's more pressure to win at Tennessee from a football standpoint, especially coming off a big year last year that that they feel like has moved them back to where, where they belong. So it's not by a lot. Uh, but I'm going to say Tennessee, and I, I do want to make this point, Blaine, because I've come on here and we've talked about Joe Milton a lot. And do I believe Joe Milton is an elite quarterback? No, I do not. But I think he played about as well as he could play 
against Alabama, starting with the opening drive where he hit Squirrel White. That was a great catch. That was a great throw. I thought he was pretty efficient with the pass. Thought he made some good made good decisions most of the time. Uh, so I want to make sure I give give him a compliment because I've been coming on here and talking about how I. You know, everybody blew him up to be the SEC Offensive Player of the Year and a Heisman candidate, which he wasn't. He was never going to be that. We know who Joe Milton is at this point, but I do want to commend him on playing his ass off against uh, Alabama on the road in a hostile environment. So I, I do definitely want to give kudos to Joe Milton. Before we get into, you know, kind of a breakdown of that game and, and picking the side and stuff, do you think that do you believe that Mark Stoops at least interviews for a job in the offseason? Maybe Michigan State comes calling or or, or depends on what happens with <laughs> John Harbaugh. I mean, does John Harbaugh leave? Could Michigan come calling somebody like that? I don't, I don't think he would interview for a job. I think he would do what everybody in the world does who's a high-level football coach, and all of a sudden there's leaked rumors. Mark Stoops may be interested in Michigan State. Therefore, the place where he's at scrambles to give him more money. It's the Jimmy Sexton Blue Plate special. So I, I think you may hear some rumors that may or may not be put out by, by – by, uh, you know, Mark Stoops or his camp or Jimmy Sexton in his camp. Uh, but no, I, I don't think he'll seriously go and interview for a job, uh, sit down and and try and make his case for why he wants to be the next guy. I think he's in a great spot at Kentucky because, yes, there's expectations. Yes, the standard is high, but you can go win, you know, eight, nine games, you know, every every three to four years and be a hero and get a statue built of you at the end of the day. So, no, I, I don't think he'll legitimately interview for another job. Would you think he'd be? You think Michigan State would try to come after him, though? I mean, I, nothing would shock me. I mean, I, I think they're going to try and go after as as many guys that they think are, are capable as possible. And look, Mark Stoops would be a good fit at Michigan State with the style of play and kind of his hard nosed old school mentality. And you know, you don't got to worry about him doing something crazy off the field. It's kind of a safer. You know, what's the worst thing he's going to say? Give us more NIL money so we can get players as good as Georgia. That's about. That's about the. That's about the highest level of. Uh, even when John Calipari insults him, you know, he's got a great clap back back to him. So. I think he'd be a good fit, but, but I don't see that happening. Well, about this game that he's going to be coaching in, Tennessee is a three-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. Night game, Kroger Field. We know that's been a great home field advantage for a long time there for Kentucky now for a few years, but it didn't help them against Missouri uh, two weeks ago. They've had a bye week to get ready for Tennessee. Tennessee coming off a physical game with Alabama. Kind of handicapped this one for us. Uh, what, do you, what do you believe you're going to see Saturday night at Kroger Field? Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not going to bet this one, but if I did have to take it, I'd probably take the under at 50 and a half. You know, I look at Kentucky, and, and I know Tennessee went down against Florida and got gashed. There were times where Alabama was able to pop some runs last week, but I do think Tennessee's front seven, against what Kentucky does best, and that's run the ball, will be able to hold up. I still don't trust Devin Leary to be yeah. able to throw Kentucky to a win. Now, look, Kamal Hay uh, Hayden is out yeah. for the rest of the year with surgery. That's a big loss in the secondary, but Tennessee's stacked recruiting class on recruiting class. Uh, I think it is going to be a tight game. I think it's going to be more of a low-scoring game. When it comes down to Tennessee offensively, I think you got to do a little bit of what you did last week, man. I, I think if they come out and give that performance, while Kentucky isn't, isn't a walk in the park on defense, Alabama's defense for sure is hell ain't a walk in the park. You're not going to be facing better players than you played la uh, faced last week. So when I look at this game, I, I do like – uh, Tennessee to win it. I think it is going to be a field goal, but I like the under 50 and a half. Should be interesting, man. And Kroger Field, which, well, I hate that name. You know, I get it, right? They're the ones paying the money. Uh, I, it is a big home field advantage. I think this may end up being one of the best games of the weekend. 
27 carries last week for Jason McClellan. A lot of those came in the second half against yeah. that Tennessee uh, run defense. Um, not that they, not that they didn't hold their own. He, I mean, he finished like a hundred something yards. So it's not like it, it 127 or something. It's not like he just absolutely ran over them. Mm-hmm. But do you think the physicality of playing an Alabama team on the road, all those carries against them, do you think there'll be any carryover of that early against a very physical Kentucky team? Well, it doesn't help. You know, you don't play Bama and walk away healthier, uh, especially when you're going into week nine of, of the football season. This is when those those legs get really, really heavy. Uh, and I mentioned Haddon earlier. So if, if you're a Kentucky yeah. and if you ever want to catch a team, it's after they play Bama or after they play Georgia when you're in the SEC. Because regardless of what happens, it is going to be a physical game because those teams up front are at the highest levels of the SEC. So I don't know from a skill position standpoint, how, how much of a difference it is going to make. Uh, I do think in the box, though, that's where you're going to see it. And and look, that was a very emotional game too, Blaine. I mean, it's not just yeah. physical. You put a ton of emotion to that and had a chance. I mean, really should have won the game. You know, Bama, they've been the, the model of inconsistency. We see really good and then we see really bad. Uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's an advantage for Kentucky for sure. One off-the-field thing related to Tennessee and not, not necessarily even inside of their program – on your flight today, any thought of that? Did you see any of the social media stuff South going Carolina on with the, ten, the Tennessee faithful and South Carolina, the whole Michigan sign still in scandal? The, the, this thing is so, like, look, and and I'm not saying everybody does it the same way Michigan does it, but this is like when people back in the day would say, oh, well, your school pays players. When everybody was paying players, it also came out that TCU knew that Michigan had their signs and they used it against them. Like, this is part of it. Like, this it, stealing signs is something... And and it helps. It's better for you to steal the signs for the defense you're going up against because it's reactionary and there's not as much as far as the offense. And now in the age of the RPO, I mean, so how? Okay, you know the play. There's two, three different reads on the play. You don't have 18 guys on defense. And I laughed too. I saw Saban say that. Oh, we'll just put Mike's in the helmet. And look, Nick Saban's a goat. I'm not going to sit here and say what he said was stupid. But what I'm trying to understand is, so that means everybody's then just got to huddle, right? Because if if it doesn't help you if the mic just if the quarterback has a mic and he tells him to play, even if you're going fast tempo offense, you've still got to signal if you're not going to huddle to the receivers what it is and then scream out the protection to the offensive line. So you're not really eliminating anything. There's sign stealing that goes on in the NFL. I thought I thought Stephen Garcia said something funny. You know, he's like Steve Spurrier, who he played for, had the same signs for 30 years and it still worked. Like there are times where you have their signs and it doesn't help, but that is part of it. That is part of the game. And look, South Carolina just they they beat Tennessee. If you watch that game, right? It wasn't if there was like just just two or three plays where it you know something crazy happened where you were like, all right, something's up. But go back and watch that whole game. That game was not won because they knew exactly what was going on. That game was won because Tennessee didn't take South Carolina seriously after the way they had played. South Carolina say they stole the signals. Let's just say that Tennessee had a better team. Tennessee had a better team, and you lost. So to me, it's an excuse. It's yeah, an excuse, yeah, and you can find ways to make whatever excuse you want about whatever. Um, but sign ceiling, it's always gone on. You know, the, the sending – I mean, we had guys that – you know what I don't understand? Where was this energy when Alabama's coaching staff was up in the press box with binoculars with the old old Miss coach who was looking through the binoculars at the signs, relaying them to Alabama? Didn't have that same energy then. It's the same result. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. So it just, to me, 
to me, it, I, I think a lot of this has to do with Harbaugh, you know, making fun of the NCAA a lot. And I will say this. I think Michigan's holier-than-thou attitude that they've always had, this has really exacerbated this problem because now we find out you're dirty just like the rest of us. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it was, it's a crazy deal, uh, but I did think that was interesting to see the Tennessee, South Carolina back and forth on, on, on the old uh, X machine today, uh, not the Twitter machine anymore, the X machine. Want to move on to Arkansas. We got a big Arkansas fan base over here uh, on Southeastern 14. And I wanted to ask you the Arkansas offensive woes this year. Um, were they more on the lack of depth and on the offensive line and talent and skill position than Dan Enos? Was he more of like just kind of it? It just didn't didn't work because it wouldn't have worked with anybody this year. True or false? Like what? What do you think about well, that? Look, I, I think there are some small things that Dan could have done different. I mean, I don't understand why when you have KJ Jefferson and it's third and one, why you just, you're allowed to push him. I mean, he's he's a dinosaur just pushing forward. We saw him do. I saw him do it one time. I think last week he got like seven yards. It was ridiculous. They could probably line up and do it every play if they wanted and, and, and have more success than they had against Miss. Bet they would have scored more than three. But yeah. uh, look, I Sam Pittman is too far along in his tenure. He's an offensive line guy. That's what he recruiting. That's what he's known for. Arkansas is a run the run the ball place forever. Not that you can't, you know, a tiger can't change his stripes. But I mean, goodness gracious. You know, at the end of the day, how does Sam Pittman not have better players up front? It's lack of depth and lack of talent at all positions, right? And in a year, and and they they hoodwinked me, Arkansas hoodwinked the hell out of me because I'm sitting here looking at the rest of the SEC, not really returning to any quarterbacks and running back tandems like Arkansas did. But they're just bad up front, man. And on the offensive line, I think the defense is held up. So, yeah, there's some blame to go on Dan Enos, but he wasn't there the four years before when they didn't bring an offensive lineman that got him to this spot. Yeah, no, I agree. And they, I mean, they had Bo Limmer and, and Latham up there coming back on the offensive line. So they had some guys coming back, but they lost a couple of couple of big ones too. They lost three out of the five starters from the year before. Um, you kind of put you on the spot here. Is there anybody that comes to mind that you think Sam Pittman uh, would 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 go after, or who would you try to go after if you were looking for the next OC? Do you well, think man. Kenny Gotten ends up just magically turning around the 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 offense and ends up staying as the OC, who's been named a former Ohio State quarterback? Well, let's see how it goes first, right? You, you got to see how it goes, see if they can get some momentum. But I'm telling you, if it's me, I'm going to get UNLV's offensive coordinator. That's who I'm going to get. Because what they, run, what they run, and I know a lot of people in here probably haven't watched UNLV. You need to go watch it. All right, It is basically your RPO system with a ton of eye candy on steroids. They go fast. Arkansas needs something sexy, I think. Right, and and another thing, Blaine, uh, a point I made during the offseason with with Sean Lewis going from the head coach at Kent State to the OC at Colorado. Are we going to start seeing maybe a little bit more of that? Is there a smaller group of five? We saw Old Dominion's OC, uh, who was in God, he was at like it wasn't Wagner, some really small school with that quarterback go to Old Dominion uh, at Fordham. That's where it was. They were at Fordham running an interesting style. I think I think it would be very attractive to a lot of offensive skill players and you can kind of get away with being a little bit deficient up front. So that's what that's what I'd look at. Uh, I think it's I think it's Colin Mickle is his name. I'm not 100% sure on it, but if you haven't seen UNLV on offense and that system, it's very similar to what CJ Kinney is doing at Texas State. They brought it over from Incarnate Word, right? And and we're yeah. seeing this more in the game. It's I'm telling you, I I think that would be a pretty good move. Now, will Sam Pittman do that with, with his style? I don't know. But if it was me 
and we're trying to mix it up. And he's gonna, if he's not fired by the end of this year, he's on his last leg going into next year. You you got to spice it up, man. You you got to mix it up a little bit. Somebody somebody dress up as something. Well, that would that would be an interesting storyline as well because you know who the head coach at UNLV it's Barry Odom who Barry was Odom. Sam Pittman's defensive coordinator for three years so he'd be like hey Barry sorry to do this to you but I'm gonna take your OC over yeah there. Barry I'm so sorry but golly that offense is super cute gotta take it from you gotta take it from you does it have to do you think it has to be would it be a mistake for Sam Pittman? to look at some guys maybe he's worked with at bigger schools, a.k.a. Georgia, that maybe haven't been a, a, a coordinator yet but are really, really good recruiters, a.k.a. Dale McGee, a.k.a. Todd Hartley. Well, I, I I mean again, Sam Pittman's not going to call the plays. I don't believe so. You got you got to get a guy in there now. In a perfect yeah. world, you like to get a guy that does both, right? This isn't a situation like Sarkeesian at Texas, where look, or Lincoln Riley at USC, where I'm the OC. All right, I'm going to call the plays and be the de facto OC, and I'm going to bring in an offensive guy. Maybe he's an offensive line guy that's a great recruiter, like Kyle Flood at Texas. Maybe he's a, a just an outstanding recruiter overall, like Del McGee, uh, that wants that coordinator title, right? But see, it used to just a lot. A lot of it was the title, right? All right, because titles equal money. The better your title is, the more money you get. But what is the one thing that? Why are we talking about Del McGee and these guys as just great recruiters? Well, they don't call the plays. Like yeah. eventually these guys that are great recruiters want to call the plays. They don't want to just be known as great recruiters. They want to be known as great recruiters that know no X's and O's, right? It's like saying, Oh, well, she just married that rich guy because she's super hot. Like that that's why. She has no personality, she's not super smart. They don't want to believe that, right? They want to believe, hey, I'm super I'm very good looking. I'm very smart. Uh, so I, I think he's got to be careful because you gotta hit if you're gonna be there, if Sam Pittman is still there after this year. You fired enough coordinators where now the next guy's you, right? Eventually, you find out you're the problem. So uh, you better get a guy that can that can dial it up, that that can that can scheme it up and call it, um, because that can get you out of a situation where maybe if you still have deficient personnel, you're putting your players in the best position possible to have success. And the last thing is we always do with you got to got to talk to you about your Auburn Tigers here and see see how they're they're this game's going to go over under a 43 man. I mean this is going to be a rock fight between these two. How do I not take everything I've ever made in my life and put it on the under 43? Um I, I don't know how. It's almost scaring me cuz it feels like it's the best bet on the board. Uh Auburn at minus 6. Look, it's Mississippi State's been a lot of people's get right game was supposed to be Arkansas's get right game last week. But this Auburn team, I, we know who these two teams are. Like, the, there's no surprise on who these two teams are. Now, Auburn has played better at home offensively. We've seen that the rotating quarterback carousel, uh, uh, you know, the whole season. I don't think that's going to change. But when I look at this Auburn team, at least now you're playing a team where there's some there's some competitive balance in how good the rosters are. You're not just absolutely overwhelmed at pretty much every position and in depth. Uh, Mississippi State's been a thorn at Auburn side for a long time. I tell you, this is a toss-up to me, but but I love the under. Would I be shocked to see another 3-2 Auburn-Mississippi State game? No, that may be considered high scoring in this one. That may be a shootout. You talked about the quarterback carousel. I want to ask you from your perspective on that, do you think that is being done literally because Hugh Freeze just believes that's the only way they can try to find some semblance of being productive? Or is that part of a part of an attempt to keep both of those guys around for next year because they don't really have somebody waiting in the wings to, to be the guy next year? 
Well, you know, Walker White's coming in, who I think has a chance to be really special uh, at quarterback. But you don't want to rely on a true freshman yeah. in the SEC, regardless if he's 6'4", 235 or not. Uh, I, I don't think it's to keep both of them around. I, I think just it's weird because Peyton Thorne plays better at home than he does on the road. And Robbie Ashford, you know what you're going to get. It's He does give you a chance to be more explosive, but he also basically gives you no chance on third and six or longer from a passing standpoint. So I think n n none of it's worked. I think he's just trying to, to rotate this until yeah. somebody says, you know what? All right, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. I'm going to go out and make the plays or make the right decisions or put us in the best spots. I just, I think he's having to rotate them because nobody has taken the job, which, you know, it's, you'd love to be like, hey, man, they're both playing really well. Or Robbie Ashford's our short yardage, red zone guy, goal line guy, trick play guy. Uh, I just think it, it hasn't worked. So he's trying to keep rotating them until, you know, it works. How many guys do you see in the box there for uh, Mississippi State as aggressive as Zach Arnett was last week against Arkansas? I mean, if you're going against Auburn receiving group, why why would you not just man everybody up, put everybody else in the box, you know, play some one high? Uh, I think he's going to fill it up, and if Auburn's going to beat you, make him beat you throwing. Interesting thing on that, uh, it kind of came to light that he last week got more involved in actually calling the defense again for Mississippi I bet State. He did. I bet so, uh, he did. Zach's not patient. He's not going to wait around. This is his big opportunity, and obviously he didn't want it to come this way. Rest in peace to Mike Leach. But at some point, you know, it's it's your butt that's on the line. You might as well, you know, th throw your best punch. I think that's what you're going to see from Hugh Freeze, too. 100%. Uh, tell everybody what you got on Crane & Company this weekend and where oh, yeah. they can find you, and, and uh, all the people on podcast listening can can find you guys. Yeah, well, we're back live Friday. Uh, you know, we were pre-recorded the past two days out there in Vegas. Uh, got some great content coming up. Y'all, we're talking about everything. Diving in depth of all these games, uh, all the all the college football slate. We have live calls, live chat. Where we go live in the morning, six thirty a.m. to eight a.m. Central, seven thirty a.m. to nine a.m. Eastern. But if you can't catch it live, it's on YouTube. Crane and Company, C R A I N and Company, uh, and then also Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you listen to your podcast. So come hang out with us, man. Uh, got a uh, David Green. Former Georgia quarterbacks, our guest picker this week hey, uh, that we released go. on on Friday evenings, uh, kind of our game day show a little bit where we make our picks and been pretty hot all year, man. Trying to keep uh, keep on keep on keeping on. Fantastic stuff over there. Uh, you got David Cohn, you know, breaking oh, yeah. down breaking down plays. You got uh, Jake's brother Blaine that is, you know, the Dragon Fridays that he does over yeah, there. Yeah, Dragon man, Bow to your sensei. Absolutely, absolutely. You can follow Jake using at Jake Crane underscore on on X, and you can follow uh, Crane and Company using at Crane Company on X. Follow me using at B Gilmer eighteen at fourteen Southeastern for this channel, guys. We appreciate you tuning in. Uh, like, subscribe, turn on notifications. Thank you so much. It's week nine already. It's flying by, and we will catch you guys next week, Friday morning. 10 Eastern, 9 Central for another episode of Jake's, Jake's Takes on Southeastern 14. For Jake Crane, I'm Blaine Gilmer. We'll catch you guys next time.